Hey everybody, it's your girl Robin Renee and we are back with another episode of Two Black Girls Talking. I know it's been entirely too long, so sit back, relax, and we're going to dive right into it, okay? What's good, y'all? We are Robin and Danny, or Danny and Robin, and, and this is Two Black Girls Talking. All right, everybody, so I know it's been forever. I'm not even about to make no promises to y'all about me recording regularly and promising to post every other Friday. Y'all know that I would just be lying. I don't record shit regularly. But I decided to come back and talk to y'all because I'm making a couple moves in my life. On top of that, shit has been getting really wild and crazy out in these streets. So since I last recorded um, the Rona, coronavirus COVID-19 has broken out and it has put the entire world at a standstill so as for me my daily routine hasn't changed that much I go to work I come home um that's about as much as I was doing anyway so it doesn't really change what I was doing in the first place but I really do feel for the people who do not have the fortune of going to work to still make a paycheck the people whose lives have been completely uprooted, drastically changed, people who has lost people in this battle. My god sister, her grandfather recently passed away due to complications from COVID-19. So my heart is definitely with you during this struggle, during this time. I know that it can be a lot. And I know that thoughts and prayers always get thrown out there and they never really mean anything because anybody can think good thoughts for you anybody can pray for you but do know that I am thinking of you at this time that I am praying for you during this time that I am hoping for the best and that I am with you during your struggles and if ever you need to talk about it you want to let something off your chest you want to blow off some steam you can always reach me at r-o-b-y-n-a-n-d-d-a-n-i that's robin and danny that's on twitter you can reach us at Two Black Girls Talking on Facebook. We never made an Instagram, but if you wanted us to make Instagram, all you need to do is tell us. We would go ahead and make one for you because we are here for you during your time of need. We are here for you if you need us. Even if we don't post regularly, anybody who wants to talk with us, get anything off their chest, let everything be known. We are ready and available for that. So you need only say something and we are here for you. And I hope that is evident in everything that we do. So I guess what have I been getting into in our absence? I've mostly just been focusing on working, which has become very tiresome because there's nothing for me to do at work. Honestly, it feels like I have a job just to have a job and very little gets done but I can't really be upset because it pays the bills it's more money than I've ever made in my entire life but it's also the least that I've ever done for a job so it makes me feel unfulfilled I think is the best word to describe it I don't feel like I'm helping anybody I don't feel like I'm contributing to society as a whole which makes me feel unfulfilled I want to do something that contributes, but something that I've been doing lately that I feel really has been letting me do more as a person is that I have recently decided to go out 
for a poetry fellowship for the Miami-Dade County Book Fair. And it really has been drawing out of me my creative spirit. It's also been making me put forth my best effort. It's been making me really examine who I am as a person and what I want to give to the world. But let me tell y'all what I've done recently that has had the biggest impact on my immediate life that has made me reevaluate who I am as a person, has made me look at what I want in life. So you guys remember John, who I told you about a long time ago. So John was somebody who I was fooling around with, who happened to take me to prom back when I was in high school. And let me just tell you guys that I was deeply and madly in love with John. I always wanted to be around for him. He's needed money and I've given it to him. He's needed my presence just to make him feel better. I've been there for him. He's needed, or not needed, but wanted to have sex, get that off his chest. And we've done that several times over and it's always been enjoyable. Let me not, let me not lie on this man's dick. It's always been wonderful. But recently, the feelings that I have harbored for him for 10 plus years, for an entire decade, I have been in love with this man and wanting to just take our relationship to the next level. And over time, he's done things that would have led me to believe that he may possibly want the same thing. For example, I used to stay the night at his house and every now and then he would say, well, why don't you just stay the night? Which would lead me to believe or rather not lead me to believe, but when I stay the night with you, it implies a certain level of intimacy and comfort. Because when you sleep with someone, it's very vulnerable. On a primal level, it's vulnerable because that person could injure you or hurt you in your sleep, could kill you, could do any number of things. And you're trusting that in the morning, they won't have hurt you and you'll wake up and everything will have been fine. On a modern day level, it's like, I trust that when I wake up, you will still be here and everything will still be right with the world. And he would ask me every now and then why I didn't stay the night with him, why I don't spend more time with him. He used to text me and every now and then he'd be like, every time I talk to you, I have to go looking for you versus you coming out looking for me which made it sound like he wanted to spend time with me and hang out with me and things of that nature. So quite recently, after complaining to my best friend for months on top of months about how I felt about him and how I just couldn't hold it anymore, three days ago, I got so super entirely drunk. And let me tell you what whiskey I got drunk off of because it's the only whiskey I trust. First of all, I learned how to drink on whiskey. I went to the University of Central Florida. I was hanging out with this boy named Legend, and we went to go visit his friend. His friend told me, we drink and smoke in this house. So if you're going to be in this house, you either need to drink or smoke. And at the time, I was very anti-drug, so I was like, well, I can't smoke, so I'll go ahead and drink. And he gave me some whiskey. I can't even remember what the whiskey was, but that's what he gave me. So now, 
when I drink, I typically prefer whiskey. The whiskey I was drinking a couple days ago is called Glenlivet. It's spelled G-L-E-N-L-I-V-E-T. It's about $30 to $40, depending well, like $30 to $60, depending on where you get it from and which one of the variations you're getting. But it, let me tell you, gets the job done. If your main aim is to be fucked up, if you get the single malt scotch whiskey double oak version in the teal box and you want to be fucked up, this is going to get you there. This is going to get you fucked up. So, originally I was drinking the Pink Whitney, that liquor everyone's been talking about, this pink lemonade flavored, and... It did not get me where I wanted to be. It did not make me feel anything, to be completely honest. And after not feeling anything, in this particular day, my feelings were just overwhelming. I kept thinking about how I was in love with him, and we most likely wouldn't be in a relationship, and everything was hurting, and I just couldn't take it anymore. So I said, I'm going to drink the whiskey, because I know the whiskey's going to get me fucked up, and then I won't feel all the feelings. That's why I fucked up. Because anytime you drink alcohol and you don't feel anything, everyone knows you just need to wait. Some things are sleepers and creepers. It's going to take you a couple more minutes to feel it. So I wasn't feeling anything. I go ahead and I drink the whiskey. And I immediately am more fucked up than I normally am. Like normally I drink and I feel good and I feel warm and everything's copacetic. But I drank this on the floor. And not just as an expression for how drunk I was, like, I mean, when I, when I say I was on the floor, I was quite literally on the floor, could not move, was texting my best friend, and I was like, hey, Danny, by the way, I was texting my best friend, Danny, and she was just like, hey, are you okay, just checking up on me, usual best friendship, I'm just like, I can't do it anymore, and she encouraged me, she was like, if you feel this way, and it's weighing so heavily on your heart, you need to go ahead and say it out loud. So I text John. I'm like, hey, I may or may not be in love with you. And for this reason, I'm going to disappear for a while. Which is my way of saying my emotions for you are too strong. You gave me an explicit directive when we first started fucking around together in this recent era to not catch feelings. And I have fucked up and caught feelings deeper than I ever cared to express. And I never want to feel this way. It was clouding my judgment. It was following me at work. I would think about it when I was going to sleep. I just thought about him all the time. And I didn't like that feeling. So I said, hey, I've caught feelings for you. And for this reason, I'm going to disappear for a while. I'm going to fall back. And if if I'm not readily available to you, that is why. So he sent me a bunch of question marks to which I replied, I don't know what more I need to explain. And instead of further inquiring about my emotional state, instead of checking on me to make sure I'm okay or seeing if these feelings are legitimate or anything like that, he said to me, dang, and I was about to ask you if you wanted to come over so we could fuck. But I guess I have to stop fucking you now. And I'm not going to lie. I was disappointed in his response. Because while 
the optimal response would have been, yes, I am also in love with you. Let us run forth and get married. I knew that was never going to happen. But the fact that the immediate response was, oh, no, now I can't get any pussy. I was disappointed. I wanted better from him. I wanted better for him. And it just did not happen. And I tried to explain that the sex had nothing to do with it. My feelings for you have nothing to do with your dick. It's good dick, but no dick is good enough for me to decide I'm in love with you. It can make me decide that I like you, that I want to spend more time with you. But at the end of the day, if I don't care for your personality, if I don't care for your actions, if I don't care for anything like that, I'm not going to want to be in love with you, and therefore I won't be in love with you. So I will say that some of the feelings died that day. So that is how that has been going. And if the liquor wouldn't have had me on the floor, I wouldn't have felt the way that I did. But I'm not regretful of what I said because it had been weighing on my heart so heavily. I can't even begin to explain to you the number of days that I sat and thought about him and had imaginary conversations with him and plans the entire life with him just for it to all come crumbling down that night. And one of the things that I was fearful of was telling him and ruining the friendship. At the end of the day, we were never friends. We might have been friends for 30 seconds. At the end of the day, he was always someone that had been in my sight that I had been planning on and praying on for a solid 10 years. And 10 years of your life is a long time to dedicate to somebody. I know because before him, I liked a boy that I nicknamed Peanut. And I liked that boy for 10 years. That's my tendency to pick someone and be in love with them for the long haul. So now it's weird because I still think about him. It's only been two days since I told him. And so I'm thinking about him constantly, but it's not in the context of being in love with him. But whether it's just me asking him in my mind, why would you not check on me to make sure that I'm okay? If somebody drunkenly confessed their love to me, I would check on them the next day to be like, hey, I know you were drunk last time we talked. Are you okay? Are you all right? What headspace are you in right now? And if I have to let them down gently, I have to let them down gently. But I would never just leave you dealing with your own emotions by yourself. But it just further illuminated how he is a different person than I. And then his brother, I'm pretty sure, is showing an interest in me. He and his brother are not speaking. And whereas before, I in turn would not speak to his brother because John is where my loyalties and my fealty lie. Now it's like, why would I not? You don't want to be with me. Your heart isn't with me. Your emotions aren't directly tied to mine. I don't owe you anything. And that's what this experience has been illuminating for me. Is that I don't owe you anything in this life. You don't owe me anything in this life. So just the same way that you are not obligated to love me and be with me and respect my feelings and my emotions... I am not obligated to do any of those things for you. So it really has been a learning experience, an experience of growth. And while I'm not happy to have gone through it, because at the time I was drunk and crying to my ex about it and saying I never want to feel this way again. And at this moment, I don't want to ever feel that way again. I don't want to give someone that much control over me and my emotions and my feelings. 
I'm happy to have gone through it because at the very least, my soul, my spirit can now recognize that sometimes a relationship, be it a friendship, romantic, sexual, whatever the case may be, those relationships run their course. And if our relationship between you and I has run its course, holding on to it does nothing. Dead plants don't grow. Weeds smother out all new life there could be. So it's a process of learning what is alive and what is dead and what to cultivate in the garden of your life. So that's what's been going on with me. But about back to the Miami-Dade County Book Fair Scholarship. Sorry if I take a couple breaths. I just ate some Grippos, which are a spicy barbecue trip from Cincinnati. And, <clears throat> oh boy, it got to me. But um, I am trying to get a fellowship for writing my poetry. And let me just explain how much this would mean to me. I have been writing just writing in general since I learned how to write since I was three or four years old and I've been writing poetry since the earliest poem that I have record of is about the third grade I have been in love with writing since I understand and had a full grasp of the English language so to be able to write for a fellowship meaning to be able to be paid for nothing more than creating and writing would be the crowning achievement of my life it's all i've ever wanted so of course for this fellowship i am terrified because it's all the thoughts people normally have what if i'm not good enough what if my poetry isn't good enough what if they read everything that i write and submit and they hate it but ever since telling john that i was in love with him I've been at peace with everything. Like, if he doesn't want to be with me, there's nothing I can do about that. I am who I am as a person. I look the way I look. I talk the way I talk. I act the way I act. And if he doesn't like that, there's nothing I can do about it. In the same way that if I write the 20 best pieces of my life and he does not, or they don't at the fellowship board, if they don't pick those pieces, they just don't pick those pieces. And it doesn't mean that I am a bad writer the same way that John not wanting to be with me doesn't mean that I'm a bad person or that I'm ugly or any of the other fears that I had in my past. It just means that he does not want to be with me. It just means that they, they don't care for my poetry. It does not mean that somewhere, some way down the line, someone doesn't want to be with me the same way it doesn't mean that everyone's gonna hate my poetry somebody may like it somebody may love it somebody may like me somebody may love me and that's just the way the universe works I cannot rush it and I cannot dictate the way that that is going to go so you my lucky listener get to hear a couple of the pieces I've been working on just so I can get them off my chest I can run them by you to see how they sound and just so that someone out there in the universe hears my work. So, I'm going to read you a couple of poems I have, with your permission. 
to see how I feel about them. And again, I would really appreciate it if you guys would give me your honest feedback. You can give me your feedback at R-O-B-Y-N-A-N-D-D-A-N-I. So at Robin and Danny on Twitter. Um, you can give me your feedback on Two Black Girls Talking without the G or Talking on Facebook or anywhere that I can be found. If you find me, just tell me how you feel about it. So the first one up is Pick One. Pick One was inspired by all the adversity that I face as an African-American woman and all the adversity faced by every African-American, especially um, given the recent events. So Ahmad, he was killed for simply going for a jog in a random neighborhood. And I just feel like every African-American feels, every black person, that I'm tired. I'm real tired. My existence is tiring because my skin color is considered a sin before I even do anything. So this is the poem that I wrote for that. It's entitled Pick One. You can be colored. The sin of your lineage evident in the pigment of your skin. Hair coiled to the sky seeking to uproot itself. Forced to learn the not so sacred art of the genuflect. You're allowed to have hips that sway to the rhythm of old Baptist hymns. Have a voice with the echoes of a grandmother's prayer begging for safekeeping. To wade in the water. To have hands that never ball into fists. You're free to be colored. Just can't be colored and. Can't be colored and have a lisp that pierces the air like a whistle. Can't be colored and sell cigarettes on the street. Can't be colored and buy Skittles and a drink. Can't be colored and play music loudly. Can't be colored on a couch fast asleep. Can't be colored and walk or jog or run. Can't be a colored child playing with a toy gun. Can't be colored and sit at the lunch counter. Can't be colored or drink from the water fountain or even go to church. Can't be colored in this life with ease. You can be colored. You just can't be colored and breathe. So to delve a little deeper into the poem, um, you can be colored, meaning you can be African-American, you can be black. I chose to go with color because it harkens back to the days of the civil rights era where we were considered colored. It also harkens back to the fact that while these new crimes against us, such as a mob being murdered for jogging, may be new in the modern day, the struggles faced by African-Americans are old, as old as signs saying colored people can sit here. Um, then we have the sin of your lineage evident in the pigment of your skin, which just says that you are considered a crime at your birth. You, the sin of being black. And it's evident in your skin, which is the first thing you see with a person. When you see a person, you see their outward person, their outward appearance, including the color of their skin. Which means if I am black, you see that before you see anything else, before you learn my name, my personality, the characteristics that make me a person. Before any of that, you know that I am black. Hair coiled to the sky, seeking to uproot itself, just speaks to the fact that our hair is kinky and coily and beautiful the way that it is. Forced to learn the not-so-sacred art of the genuflex. Genuflex literally means to bend the knee, which means we are always in a subservient position. And you have to learn that as a black person. You have to learn to become subservient 
to bend the knee, to lessen yourself, to make other people feel comfortable. Um, you're allowed to have hips that sway to the rhythm of old Baptist hymns. I happen to go to a Baptist church, and church plays a large role in the African-American community. Um, just and when you're black, you go to church. A lot of times you go to a Baptist church, and you find refuge in God, in religion, which is one of the methods that were used to keep us in a subservient position. There's the old cotton Bible, which I believe is an interpretation of the Bible that teaches you that being a slave is the proper demeanor for an African-American to have. <clears throat> have a voice with the echoes of a grandmother's prayer begging for safekeeping. That just speaks to the fact that African-American families a lot of times are matriarchies. So, you know, the grandmother is the center of the family. She's the one who holds it all together. She cooks the Sunday meals. She's the one you turn to when you're going through struggles. That happens a lot of times, mm -hmm. particularly mm -hmm. with families that are coming from a low socioeconomic position. Then you have to wade in the water. To wade, wade in the water is an old Negro spiritual that was used as a way to guide African Americans to freedom during the time period of the Underground Railroad. To have hands and never ball into fists, that line just calls the fact that when you're an African-American, you're not allowed to be aggressive. You're not allowed to demand things. You have to be soft. You have to be subservient. You have to be gentle for anyone to even perceive you as anything other than a threat, as a danger. The next line can't be colored and. So you can be black. You can be black, that's fine. But you can't be black in anything else really can't be black and successful that makes people upset but can't be black and poor because then you're just feeding into a stereotype you can't be black in conjunction with anything else so can't be colored and have a lisp that pierces the air like a whistle Emmett Till later investigations found that he actually just had a lisp that sounded like a whistle so it sounded like he was whistling at a white woman but he could have just been having a regular conversation that's what he was murdered for can't be colored and sell cigarettes on the street. That is an homage to Eric Garner, who, of course, we get the famous line, I can't breathe. Can't be colored and buy Skittles and a drink. That, of course, harkens back to Trayvon Martin. I actually remember when the Trayvon Martin trials were happening and there was a lot of rioting going on in Sanford. And I just remember, actually, John was one of the people that I texted. I said, please be safe. Because during that time period, anything, something happens to black people, the blacks, the black people in my life, I just want to hug a little tighter, love a little louder, get them to understand that I care for you. If no one else tells you that I care for you, I want you to be safe. I want you to be happy. I want you to be able to live this life and be okay. Um, can't be colored and play music loudly. I feel upset with myself that I did not previously prepare the names of people who would be on those lists, but I do recall there was a story of um, African-Americans at a gas station playing music loudly. A white family, or not a white family, but a white man asked them to turn it down. They did not, so they were killed. Then we have can't be colored on a couch fast asleep. The police burst into a house of a young girl who was asleep on the couch and they killed her. Can't be colored and go for a walk or a jog or a run. That harkens back to Ahmad. Can't be a colored child playing with a toy gun. A little boy was killed for playing with a toy gun. The 911 dispatcher said there was a little boy playing that had a gun. It could have been a toy. 
but that was not told to the police. So they shot him on sight. Um, can be colored and sit at the lunch counter. That harkens back to the civil rights era as well as drink from the water fountain or even go to church. That harkens back to the Watson girls who were murdered. Can't be colored and live this life with ease. That's just a fact. You can't be black and have life be easy. It's just not happening. You're going to face a form of hardship. You can be colored, just can't be colored and breathe. Because America is set up to go against you. So that's how that poem goes. I'm a little worried because I don't know. Or rather, the person who will be the mentor for the poetry section of the fellowship they're not black, they're Hispanic. So they're a minority, they're a person of color, they understand hardship, but I don't know if they'll understand the unique brand of hardship that is given to the African-American community. So there is that. Next up, we have Not Another Love Poem. This is actually a poem that I wrote for John. In the entire entirety of the 10 years we've known each other, it's the only poem I've ever written for him or about him. So again, it's entitled Not Another Love Poem. In all these years, I've never written a poem about you. Placed pen to parchment and allowed myself to fully bleed, to cleanse, to confess, to find the words to label the strained dance between you and I. Me creating rhythms, you stumbling about on two left feet, following along awkwardly. Could never write for you a love poem, for we were never lovers. Emotions innocent and pure, eternally connected. We were strangers who both loved jazz, the smoothness of it all. Acquaintances who would fall into the same bed. The problem with the love poem, it is an antiquated thing. Reserved for those whose hearts still beat. Whose souls are in rapture. For hands already being held. For lovers, for others, for those who are not us. So this is not a love poem. It is a eulogy for all we were, a dedication to the things we could have been, a dissertation dissecting all we weren't, but it's certainly not a love poem. So it's just me saying that this poem is not a love poem or anything of the nature because we were never in love. I had a lot of feelings, they were strong, but the love was never, the love was always unrequited never returned so i was creating symphonies i was creating music and you were only bumbling along because you never could catch the rhythm is how that song or how that one goes and i guess i'll share with you guys one more this one's called in honor of francis de salas who is the patron saint of poets in case you were wondering is there a patron saint for poets a protector of those who feel all things too deeply. Who looks after those armed only with metaphors and similes. Who absolves us of the sin of being human. On whose ears does a poet's prayer fall? I don't have any deep dissection of that. I just wrote it. I like it. So... Those are some of the pieces I'll be submitting to the board. I'm hoping and praying that it gets picked up. The name of the project is Pages on the Floor. Because some of these poems probably get cut. Some of these poems don't speak to a level of academia 
that literature is normally held up to in higher circles. But these are the poems that I have in my heart. These are the things that are deep within my soul that I choose to share with people. And I'm just hoping that because these are part of the human experience, other people hear them and get something out of them as well. And even if only one other person connects with what I'm saying, feels what I'm saying, I'll be happy to have reached that one person. So thank you for sitting along with me in while it's raining at my house, while I'm going through a lot of emotions. Thank you for feeling them with me. Anyways, guys, that's all I have for you today. Thanks so much for rocking with me. Thanks so much for listening to my poetry. Thanks so much for just being here and witnessing me, which is all I can ever ask. Until next time, y'all stay safe. Y'all stay blessed. Y'all stay happy as best as you can. I'm out.